Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This fan base is amazing. The city of Cincinnati is amazing, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Desmond takes a handoff right to the right. He's got all sorts of room to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Bearcats! 20, 25, toward the middle of the field at the 35, and he is gone! Trey Tucker will take it 98 yards to the house! It is a nip at night knockout as the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that? Howdy folks and welcome back to Viva the Cats. I am your host Justin Hiles accompanied by my very good friend Steve Maurer and we are here to bring you coverage on the Bearcats every single week in our standard weekly previews which you're watching here as well as our post-game Twitter space reactions which are becoming more and more volatile. Um, yeah, let's just kick it off with this. This shit's unacceptable. Where we currently stand is unacceptable. I know Steve is trying to be Mr. Positive this for the rest of the season. Uh, this is this is just ain't it. I don't know how else to say it. Justin rage quit the space on Saturday. That's how upset he is, people. <laughs> he rage quit. It wasn't that his phone died and he was Absolutely in the car not. not responsibly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he rage quit the 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 that's that's where the state of this program is right now, folks. Yeah, I just, I was at the game, and um, this is the third straight game that I've gone to now that the Bearcats have lost after watching probably like 15 uh, straight, all minus like the two Memphis ones back in 2019, uh, somewhere in the middle there, so I'm not going to count that up. Watching a lot of Bearcats wins, and this is just three straight losses, um, you know, time, money, effort, and all of it. I don't know. I'm it's I've reached the point that when the Bearcats fail, I start laughing because I don't know how else to feel. It's like the stages of grief. Justin, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in the 2014 season, molded <laughs> by the 2015, 16 and 17 seasons. And I didn't see the light until the 2019 and 2020 seasons. So then 
it was nothing but blinding to me. Uh, it was, it, you know, I, I definitely like, hey, Justin, we are on the opposite ends for the BYU game. You know this. Yeah. I was very upset. I was uh, saying mean things to the very nice people around <laughs> me. Um, I, I was a shamble. And uh, I think we flipped. I mean, something had to flip during this season, you know, because it wasn't going to be our record. Um <laughs> So you'll uh, listeners, you'll hear this later when we preview Houston with Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast, P-A-W cast, and the uh, also the host of Midwest Madness. So basketball season does start uh, tonight as we are recording. So go ahead and listen to that for all your Big 12 basketball. Justin, this is this conference is going to be a great basketball show. So a uh, basketball conference. So. When football's done, we can kind of just bury that and dive into basketball because it's going to be a lot of fun. But we have to eat the shit burger while it's still on our plate. And right now, it's a shit burger. Um, yep. Justin, I wanted to give you a couple of reactions to listening to um, Coach Sat's post-game press conference because I'm sure you didn't listen to it. I'm sure there weren't <laughs> that many people that listened to it and just saw the quotes on Twitter. And as, as I did, because, you know, obviously – he had the quote about, you know, we'll just see who shows up tomorrow and then we'll go from there. And that sounded a lot worse on Twitter than it actually did in the press conference. Right. Now, you know, I, I've not been one to shy away from blaming the coach this year. Um, a lot of coach blaming on this year podcast. But, Justin, can you say that Saturday's game was not really on the coach? It was kind of more on the players, if you think about it, because – you know, you had Brian Threats get thrown out for a dumb penalty and the uh, in the first quarter. Uh, Emery throws uh, a bad uh, interception. Um, no, I'm sorry. He he had a bad fumble. No, no, no. Yeah. Xavier had the bad fumble. Yeah. Emery had the bad interception. Um, and then we just had a lot of penalties. Like, uh, you know, you get Braden Smith down to the two-yard line and then you fall start right there and you have to kick a field goal instead of punching in a touchdown right there. Um you know that Chad Brendel had the stat that we just have to read, Justin. Um, it is painful, but we need to read it. Um, so I, I'm gonna pull it up real quick, but it was something like Bearcats have only taken the field twice since the Miami game with a lead as an offense, and it's like every other time the uh, the team has given up uh, a lead directly after um, uh, having a lead. Okay, here here it is. The offense Cincinnati has held the lead six times in Big Twelve play. 3-0 lead versus UCF and OU is the only time in Big 12 play the offense has taken the field with the lead. Every other time, the defense has allowed a score on the ensuing drive. For what it's worth, the offense failed to score on both of those drives, and the opponent went ahead on the next possession. So that's it. The offense has played from ahead with the ball for a grand total of 13, 13 snaps. Offense has run 444 snaps, plays. Not even drives. 13 snaps. That's snaps. so plays. fucking plays, sad. baby. That is yeah. sad. Downs. All of that good stuff. So I think here's the thing, Justin. You're not playing complimentary football. And when you're not playing complimentary football, you're not going to be able to win games. And especially in a league where the level of talent is raised and the margin for error is smaller. And you're just, you know, we saw it on Saturday. It's I, I kind of think this Saturday it was on a little bit more on the players not executing. And I know we've gotten on sat for saying, you know, the play – play was there it just wasn't executed correctly but i mean you know not to crap on kids who are not that much younger than me but how much like how much can we really blame on coaching for this specific 
game. Like, for example, I mean, why is Braden Smith continuing to try and catch balls <laughs> like uh, in in punts? Like it, someone's got to be yelling Peter at him in that situation. You know, there's just now what I will say is like, you know, uh, and it's kind of the same same thing with the Bengals um, on Sunday where the decisions to go for it and punt have or uh, or kick field goals have kind of worked against them in both games. Like I think UC had the right idea to go for it and then it worked against them. Um, and then they had to kick a field goal late in the game because they were unsuccessful earlier in the game on fourth down and so on and so forth. So um, I'm more of a proponent of taking points early in the game and then going for it later in the game. But, you know, I, you still only lost by two, made it close at the end, cover the spread. Justin, I mean, you know, you were there. You tell me if I'm wrong, but I think there is some positive to take away from this rather than just being, oh, you know, sky's falling, Debbie Downer's seven games straight. Steve, <laughs> it's seven games straight. Like, okay, what yeah. the fuck? Like, I, 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 that. I don't know how else to put it. Like, I mean, there's, it's one thing when, you know, you can look at every single game and microanalyze every detail and say, we're one play away from this. It's a one score game here. It's this situation. It's this player's fault. It's this coach's fault. It's a, I, I don't even want to look at like player specific or look at coach specific. This is just program as a whole right now, dysfunctional. This program going seven straight is not what this program has set as the expectation. I don't care what your expectation was coming into the season. If you thought we were going to be an absolute bottom feeder of the Big 12, an absolute bottom feeder of the Big 12 still finds a way to do something. An absolute bottom feeder still finds a way to put together three wins on the season. And it looks like it's quite possible that we might not do that. Because you have West Virginia and Kansas, who I think are going to kick our ass. And you have Houston, who I think is going to be a toss-up. But it's on the road. And clearly, we can't even win at home. I think we've lost what? Uh, let's see. At home, we ha- we lost Miami. We lost Iowa State. We lost Baylor. And we've lost UCF. That's that's four straight. Five, if you don't include... Five total, if you don't include the, you know outlier of the EKU game that we've lost in basically a season. And that's just unheard of. That's unspoken territory for where this program has been. And, and your home advantage has meant absolutely nothing this season. Your results have just fallen flat and you can look at wins and you can look at losses and you can look at all the in-between, but ultimately everything is just not working together. Like you said, there isn't enough cohesion. There isn't enough things going right at the right time for this thing to be rolling correctly. But yeah. And I, I once think... again, they did not win the turnover battle. Uh, that's, yeah. that's gotta be a big point of this as well, Justin. They have not won a turnover battle in a game all season, like, yeah. you know, and obviously I just think there is something to that just coming down to talent and, most of these teams having better talent than us, you know? Well, and that's Um, been our bread and butter over the past few years has been absolutely dominating the turnover battle. But I want to share something that our guy Ryan said in our Bearcat group chat, Uh, Ryan Roberts, we had him on before uh, the uh, just in a certain game that includes a tip jar on this podcast. Um, We had him on before that game. And um, he, he did say this past weekend that, you know, it's, it's uh, he doesn't really understand like, the, the the Satterfield 
like the, you know, the, the hate, I mean, here, I'm just going to share his message here and I hope he's okay with it. And I'm, I apologize for saying it, but blasting. <laughs> here's what he said. This is, this was going to be a transition year, regardless of who the head coach was. When you lose 17, remember that Justin, 17 guys to the NFL over three years, there's eventually going to be a decline in roster talent that catches up to you. Fick saw it and bolted. That's not a knock on this roster or these players. It's just facts. And I agree. I happen to think that last year was kind of that downgrade year as well, just because, you know, you lost all of your guys after the 21 season. And it's it was always going to be a tough couple years here. And maybe the bottom is just falling out at the time where we are all excited about being in a, a new conference, a new league where people actually care and the margins are just not hitting it. And obviously I, I can't, fault anyone for not being completely and overly excited about the Satterfield hire, you know, and I think people are just going to be reductionist and go back to that. But I think we just have to face the fact that it was just going to be, it was probably always going to be this way, regardless of who the head coach was. And regardless of how many transfer portal flips you got in here, it was seven, two and seven was always going to be the way. I mean, no, but look, Justin, they've lost two one score games in this um, in this stretch. Maybe another one if I'm uh, if I'm missing. Uh, well, BYU game, I don't really count because that was another no, back three one. So but yeah, Baylor, UCF, three. Miami. Uh, well, and then if you technically count BYU, they've lost four. So lost four one score games. Two point conversion. Yeah. Yeah. In this stretch, you know, so and how many of those games did we win? over those years and also justin responding to your point earlier about how nothing is working how many times did everything click and go our way during that 2021 season there was no reason why we should have won that tulsa game no reason why we should have eventually pulled out that navy game like there were a couple of games that year where i mean we're down 14 nothing to a bad indiana team in the first quarter like there was a couple times where it did not look like it was going to come to fruition, you know, and Indiana team with now Heisman, Michael Penix jr. On it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Hey, what did our former coach do at Indiana this past weekend? Anybody watch that game? Anybody see that? Anybody, uh, kind of wishing that they hadn't wished for uh, him back this year. I'm just saying, you know, Indiana might be as bad as us and they still beat Wisconsin. So, you know, I think it's just unlucky. It's been unfortunate. It's been a couple bad, bad weeks, but you know, I don't think this is the worst team in history. I haven't seen that anywhere, but I'm going to delay it and say that this is not the worst team in history because for the simple fact that you beat a power five team, like how many bad teams have we had in our history that have not beaten a power five team? No, Steve. Okay. Maybe it's not the worst team in history. It might not be the worst team in history, but this team is the worst team in the Bearcats program since like 2000, 2000. Like it's over the past 20 years. Can you think of a team that has performed this poorly that has failed to do has, has done the unthinkable so many times and has failed to do what is so simple in front of you so many times. It's it's just this is where I come back and I like I know I we disagree on this point, but like this is where I'm just finding a lot of my issues is you can blame the coach all you want. You can blame the players. I've done a lot of all of it this season. Like I said, I'm kind of just going through the motions at this point. But the point that I've reached in this season now where I sit is every single week, it's the exact same thing. 
every single drive, every single play, every single like three game gap, every two game gap. It's the exact same thing. Nothing has changed. The scheme hasn't changed. The players haven't changed. The players who do good have not been doing better. The players who have done poorly have not been getting pulled out. Like everything has been the same from the Miami game all the way through to this game against UCF. Nothing has changed. And if you tell me that something has changed, please highlight in very clear explanation what has changed because I cannot look at one singular thing and say that this has been an improvement from that game to this game and this has been better. Like, And that's that's where I find the most issue is because throughout a season, you're supposed to work out the kinks. Throughout a season, you're supposed to get better. And yet all that this team has done has stayed flat in level. And it's not flat and level in the middle. It's flat and level at the bottom. This team has not figured more stuff out. This team has just continued to plateau this entire season. And I think for me, that's the most frustrating part is because when you look at where this team has been and where they're at now, there's just, there's not enough signs to me that says that Satterfield, if he doesn't have a great turnover and roster to improve it next year, that this is going to be any better. I do not see how this thing improves if he is not willing to change something or to change up the scheme, or if it goes back to Brian Brown, if it goes to your coordinators, I don't care if, if this, if Scott Satterfield wants a fresh chance, look at your coordinators, look at your staff, look at your players, look at and He's doing a lot of blaming everything right now. It's like, fine, let everything else be blamed, change some stuff up. And if something improves, I can give you credit for that. But your inability to change anything and to continue to fail over and over again has just it's you're sticking your head in the sand and nothing it's it's not changing. And I'm very hopeful that this week against Houston that we see some changes in that. I I get that the scheme is working to a T, whatever you're outgaining teams, you're leading on the statistical boards, the box score, you're doing a better job. Well, that's great. But guess what? Stats don't fucking matter if you're losing every game. And that's what, that's all that it comes down to. Like it's not transitioning into a win. And I don't know how else to put it that this team has not getting better. There's no signs of life that shows that this team is going to do anything different against Houston, West Virginia, or Kansas. Bowl eligibility is out. So you have three games to try to show something different to give any amount of hope to any of these fans who have reached pure apathy at the end of this season to feel better about next season. But right now, it just ain't it. It's just ain't it. So what what would you want to change then? Like, like I you said a lot of that and like I, there's some stuff I agree with some stuff I don't but like what would you want to see change because I mean I see Justin like I'm really not trying to just be my shtick here a positive guy I see a team that had two different quarter uh, running backs go for a hundred yards on Saturday and understanding yeah. understanding that UCF is not a very good rushing defensive team um, I see a team that like I, I do think that there should be a quarterback change um, but even the quarterback that sat came in and led two productive touchdown drives. Like I, I get it, Justin. And I just think it's been a lot of one us not having the depth to be able to make those changes and play those players and give them a chance. Um, There is some stuff like 
I don't know why Barry Jackson was in the game to only play for two plays. If you're going to burn his red shirt, like burn it, burn it to the ground. Don't do this like ticky tack stuff. Like he's a dynamic playmaker, man. I, I agree. If you want players in the game that will change the game and make plays, let get that guy in the game. Like let him play as a true freshman, you know? And I mean, I'm kind of of the mind of, and I agree with some of our people in our Bearcat group chat, Justin, that like, does do red shirts matter right now? I mean, they matter a little bit more maybe in basketball, like especially if you're trying to build a program. But in football, I don't really think red shirts matter because these guys can just transfer, use their one time and go somewhere else when they've developed. And I just think like, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, there is some stuff I agree with, but what, what would you want to see be a concrete, like actual change for Saturday? Stop putting in, don't, Okay, don't put in a player that everybody's clamoring for and then pull him after two plays. That's like the classic Mick Cronin move. <laughs> like, don't don't just take a guy out for discipline and say, okay, now you're right, let's put him back in. Like, first of all, let's set that. Play your young guys, play all of them. I'm. You don't have bowl eligibility. You have senior night. That's your way to say thank you to the seniors. Other than that, I love... and. Your seniors who are actually like solid and have been here for all these years that are your tried and true Bearcats and are playing well, keep playing them. But the guys that are constantly like screwing up, the guys that have not been improving throughout the season, pull them, put the new guys in, play them, let them get as many reps as possible. Like you said, at this point, burn your red shirts. Doesn't matter. I agree. I, I don't think it matters at this point. Burn your red shirts, play them, get the experience, show them that they have an opportunity to start for this team if they're going to be good enough to play next year in that position. Also, this same like the same drives where you run the same plays over and over and over again, and then you get down to the end of the field and you fail to convert over and over and over again. You need to figure out how to fix that, because, again, this is where I've found that, like, we are very good between like the 20 and the 30. And then once we get to that, we've burned all our steam and the playbook runs out. Put it in, get an offensive coordinator, put an offensive coordinator in there. You can't do that this year, but if there's not an offensive coordinator on the staff that is running the plays next year, I will lose my mind. Scott Satterfield has to be a CEO. He has to run this team and he has to worry about management of the players, of the staff, of the team. And he cannot be running the plays too, because you can clearly see that his offensive playbook is running dry. And every single time when it becomes predictable and every team finds a way to stop you over and over, ago, over, and over again, and you can't find a way to put up 30 points on the board and your defense is getting absolutely gassed by a very good offensive big 12 conference. You need to find a way to change that up. And Scott Satterfield is not doing that right now. So again, there's, there's a lot of small changes that I think need to be made to like implement something to change things up in order to see some amount of progress. And it doesn't, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that it doesn't matter of wins or losses at this point, but find a way to win one of the next three games. If you can do that, show people that you've seen a lot of the shit that's messed up so far this season, and you find a way to just scrape something together. Because again, a good team can lose a lot of games, but a good team does not lose every game. A bad team can win a screwy game, but a bad team cannot win a lot of games. We need to figure out which one we are. Because we're not a good team right now that's losing a lot of games. A lot of people are calling UCF that. I don't know. UCF's at the bottom of the barrel with us, and they still found a way to battle for 13th place and put us firmly in 14th. And I'm still not happy about that. 
that's probably the one of the most frustrating things from this weekend. Uh, we've now lost two straight to UCF, and I mean, you're they're at the bottom with you. And yeah, it was a tight game, but this is the one thing I want to end this off on because we've talked so much basketball or football here. This is the thing that I found the most interesting when when it got to the end of the game this past weekend. UCF scored a bunch of people left the stands. Half the student section's gone already. Everybody's like starting to clear out. Game looks like it's over. Give the Bearcats the ball back. They've got to drive to win the game or play to tie the game because they need a two-point conversion. They get all the way down the field. They score. Great. We figured out how to score against in crunch time against a team that has been doing a decent job of stuffing our offense if we haven't done it to ourselves. They score the touchdown. I I kid you not. I I think I saw just as many people get up out of their seats and leave as I did when the UCF scored the touchdown for that remaining amount of people that were left. And then what happens right after that? We draw up a two-point play conversion, and it just goes horribly. (laughs) And everybody, like, it's just, what I'm saying is, like, being at that game, you can just feel the collective just sigh when UCF scores, when we're going through that drive, everybody's like checked out, like this ain't happening. Like this team is not doing it. And they get down the field and they did what they've done all season long. And I, again, like I, I just, I hate, I hate being the negative Nancy on all this, but again, it's just more of the same. And until something changes, until there is noticeable improvement to show that you can do all the right things when necessary and not continue to fail at the same ways that everybody is so predictable that you can leave a game early because you know how it's going to end, even if there's a chance to win. I think that's pretty sad. So something something needs to change, but yep, I don't know. I can't crosshair everything right now. Fair enough. I mean, I, I agree. I, I don't like losing to... Uh... You don't think they're a rival. I think they're a rival. Why do you um, keep saying that, Steve? I've literally said so many I times. I asked you point blank if this if beating them does like changes anything, and you said no, it doesn't. And so that has that's... nothing to do with being a rival. Yes, I told it does. You they are, they it has everything separate... to do with being a rival. Absolutely not. They can be separate things. Ask any separate. army fan if they go 0 and 11 and they beat Navy if their season was a success. That that two steve two and seven right now and you're looking at a possible two and ten nothing about that is a success even if you beat ucf nothing about that is a success they are still a garbage team and we still lost to a garbage team nothing about that is a success and i hate that we lost to them they are a rival and those two things can be separate they do not need to be the same thing I don't know. I I kind of. I mean, we already lost to another rival that I can't name because I already owe too much money to a tip jar. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Justin, you said you were tired of talking about uh, football. Um, why don't we talk about another sport that is about to tip off in just about ten minutes while we're recording? Yes, sir. Basketball, long awaited. I'm sorry. The football season has drained so much energy out of me. <laughs> this is a funny thing, too, because if you were to go back and listen to all our episodes, you'd hear so much excitement, especially at the beginning. And you see so much like apologist activity, trying to find a way to still be happy about everything while still being upset. Now I've just reached the point of being upset. So basketball, I can lead with optimism and I can lead with too much optimism because if I'm disappointed, it'll just be more of what I've been disappointed about. We have potential. 
and we have an opportunity to actually be good. Uh, and I, I think, I think the most interesting thing about this season is you get a lot of guys who have had a lot of experience so far throughout their years here. You get some fresh guys who are pretty good. And if you can find a way to mix it all together and end up coming out with a win, you know, uh, coming out with a win pretty much out the gates in conference play. If you can take care of your non-conference schedule, I think there's a lot of excitement around this team and I don't think it necessarily, um, you know, is going to derail very fast with just a loss here or there. Um, however, if that does happen during non-conference play, there may be some issues. Yep. Um, I was just looking up a uh, cyclone Larry's, uh, pre preseason predictions just because uh, we are Cyclone Larry fans <laughs> on this podcast. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on what he thinks of the Bearcats this year. So um, he does think we will finish above the, um, the, the golden Knights uh, this week, the Citronauts of central Florida. Uh, he says we will go five and 13, five, one, three area code. Nice in the league total of 18 and 15 in the conference. So, I put the over under at 17 and a half last week. Cyclone Larry's taking the over. I I I kind of like it, Justin. I mean, like I do think that there is a chance if the waivers come through that we can be a little bit better, but I've learned from football, Justin, to just enjoy the ride, baby. Enjoy what's happening and you know, maybe we just take it back to those old Big East days where like the old coach uh, like kind of tried to set us up for a couple of years. And obviously the turnaround time can be quicker, but there's no illusion in my mind that this first year might be a little bit tough for the Bearcats. Oh yeah. No, no, I I'm, I'm fully expecting that it'll be tough, but the, the other side of me is just why expect losses when you can just hope for a win? <laughs> I'm I'm not expecting losses. I mean, I will still be upset if we like drop a game in the last five seconds. You know, I I think Justin, like if if we do go five and thirteen, I I would love like what would your goals be for this year? Like I I think my goals are to beat Xavier one. Um, I think try to go like try to go 500 in conference too. And that's with waivers, obviously this is all with waivers. And I'm hoping that the waiver situation gets figured out before the Xavier game, the shootout. But um, I, I think like my dreams and my goals would be beat Xavier, go 500 and get, get to the NCAA tournament. There's honestly nothing about, what you just said there that I would disagree with. I, I think that if I had three points, I think you just kind of hammer all of them. Um, yeah. Maybe if I can sweeten it, if I can sweeten it a little bit, don't win a game or don't win a game. Yeah, that'd be ugly. That'd be really ugly. Don't lose a game until you hit January when you're playing non-conference. Don't be featured on John Rothstein's epitome of brutality. Don't, don't be one of those folks. Um, I, I would say, during conference play, um, steal some away wins. You're going to play some teams that are probably going to be ranked on the road. Get some away wins. Get some of those big wins there. Of course, a lot of these are all these games are going to be quad two. Some of them are going to be quad one as well. Um, steal some of those quad one wins. If you're going to win, take the quad one wins. Uh, and I, I think my again, I think my goal to get to the tournament 
And that, that, if you, now, if that's you make my dream. it to the, that's not my goal. I'm just saying that just for the big 12 heads out there that are listening. That's my dream is that I would say, no, I see what you're saying, but I would say that's my goal. I would say tournament is goal. And I know it sounds, I know it sounds like a moonshot here, Steve, but if Have you, you not say, learned nothing from this football season, did you not just, did you not just say that you want to go? Your, your goal is to go 500 in conference. Well, I said dreams, uh, as my caveat. Okay, you said like, goals and dreams. So which one is I it? I said is it goals goal first, and then I said my dream. So your scenario. dream is to go 500. In 500 in conference. Play. My dream is to okay. beat Xavier, and then my dream is to get to the tournament. Because if you go 500 in conference, you are definitely going to the tournament. My goal for this team <laughs> is to not have a losing season. How about that? Be the most connected team in the history of Cincinnati basketball. Shout out to Matt Campbell. This might be a stretch. But if I could also have a dream, have a better record than you did last year. Doesn't matter how you do it. Doesn't matter yeah, how like ugly that. or good, good it looks. Have a better record than you did last year. You've improved on it year by year under West. If you can do it again in a conference that's this difficult, that shows you have a shit ton of potential going forward. A yep. lot of potential going forward. Will it happen? Most likely not. But I think this roster has a lot of potential. I think there's a lot of youth here. The thing that I like a lot about this sport a little bit better than basketball or sorry, football is it's very easy to just throw in those younger guys and have some impact players like that. It's very easy to see all those guys test all those guys in games and get those minutes and get to see all of them and, and see the effect very fast and see if they're up to speed enough to be able to play those heavier minutes and what you're going to have going forward. You get those flashes a lot earlier than you do on the football field. And so upsets and buzzer beaters are much more of a thing in college basketball. Yeah, <laughs> that they are. Um, and, and I think, you know, hopefully we're a lucky team this year. Hopefully we're a team that can just find a way to pull stuff out at the end. Um, and, and I think one of the other things that I would like to note too, we did incredibly well against the spread last year. Let's continue that too. Let's I like continue that. that. Sounds if, good. Let's just cover that shit. Like if we're going to, if we're going to be at, we're probably not going to be favored in many of our games this year, but cover the spread. Yep. Don't, like that. if you're going to lose, lose good. And if you're going to win, just freaking win, man. Lose good. I like yeah. that. <laughs> the, 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 the Cubs mantra from the year they, they won the world series was try not to suck. So how about we just take that for the Bearcats? This year? Try I like not that. To suck. Try not to suck because we've seen enough of that this year. So Justin, uh, real quick, you said that we are going to have a young team on the men's side on the women's side. We're also going to have a young team here and I want to take a little time. We're going to drop this in and post, but um, just uh, some, a quick preview from the 10, 12 networks own Jamie Steyer Johnson about the women's team. Um, and Justin, uh, let's go ahead and hear that right now. Cincinnati has a lot of new faces in their first Big 12 season. Head coach Katrina Merriweather is looking to lead the Bearcats into a renaissance reminiscent of her own college days in 1997 to 2001. She was the first player in school history to make four straight postseason appearances and saw the first NCAA tournament win as a grad assistant in 2002. Coach Merriweather is no stranger to adversity at the helm. She led Memphis to 16 wins in her first season there. This was a program coming off of a four-win season. Cincinnati will be one of the youngest teams in the Big 12 with five freshmen and only six upperclassmen on the roster. 
The experience they do have is significant, though, as the Bearcats returned last season's leaders in nearly every statistical category. Hometown girl Jillian Hayes led the team in points, rebounds, and steals, as well as coming in second per blocks and third in assists. She can do it all. Point guard Maya Jackson is back for her fifth year and led the team in assists, coming in just behind Hayes in points and steals, and Clarissa Craig and Malia Williams will be holding it down at the front court, as Craig averaged over 56% shooting from the floor, and Williams led the team in blocks. All that to say, Cincy's core certainly trust coached Merriweather. Had Clarissa Craig and guard Braylon Milton both entered the portal before ultimately deciding to stick with the Bearcats? That says something. Thank you, Jamie, for posting that to your public Twitter feed. Everybody go follow her, follow her at J Styes with a Z, uh, S-T-E-Y-Z. But Justin, let's recap the Bearcats in our own fashion with the Bearcats sports wrap up. Does that sound good to you? Do it. All righty, here we go. Bearcats sports wrap up presented to you by Charlie Hustle and the 1012 Patreon feed, uh, patreon.com slash 1012 network. Ready in three, two, one. Women's basketball, unfortunately, did lose on t- uh, tonight is before we recorded game one of the season, uh, game one of the Katrina Merriweather area era uh, to Louisville, 77 to 59. Jillian Hayes with 20 tonight. So shout out to her. They're playing next Wednesday against Lindenwood on Education Day at 11 a.m. So if you want to hear a lot of children screaming loud at 11 a.m. Eastern time, watch that game. Volleyball lost both matches to BYU, and they are playing at Texas on Saturday. So that should be another big test for the Volleyball Bearcats. Tennis, they are playing in the Big 12 Fall Championships this weekend. Good luck to the tennis team. And the hockey team, they unfortunately dropped two games to Louisville this weekend. Did not prove to them that um, the copium is, not again, not going well, especially with a loss in an, in an additional sport. Let's play basketball again, Louisville. And they, the hockey team is headed to Delaware this upcoming weekend. So good luck to them. Justin, I think that's all we have for us today. I believe it is. Uh, we do have a second half, which Steve and Sam will be going over the Houston preview for this week's game. But I do have one final thing to add. What's that? We have some good friends over at Charlie Hustle. And we would just like to make sure that you're aware of that. So please head on over to www.charliehustle.com. Check out their college collection. They have plenty of great offerings for many different teams, including almost all but us in the Big 12. And there's a lot of good options there. There is as well a white and black and red Big 12 conference t-shirt that you can wear and you can still support your Bearcats. Would love to see some people out in that. But if you'd like to purchase anything over from there, please use the 1012 promo code, which is 101514 for 15% off of all non-sale items. That is good for the season. So please be sure to check that out. Uh, and like I said, we're hoping. We're just waiting and hoping to see if we can get some Bearcats merch in there because we know that if it's in there, it's going to be fire. So if we know and if we get it, we'll let you know. So Keep on track over here. Um, and of course, keep on tuning in to our post-game uh, live spaces that we've been doing. Uh, we're going to continue to do that for better or for worse. Uh, and, and again, with some some of the bigger basketball games this year, I would imagine once we get to full swing of conference play, we'll probably have some more regular ones there as well. Uh, so just keep on the lookout and we'll be around. But enjoy the second half with Steven Sam. Eva. Look at
All righty. Uh, we are here with Sam from the Scott and Holman podcast, also the host of the Midwest uh, Madness podcast, two great podcasts on the TED 12 podcast network. Uh, Sam, thank you for joining me. Um, I'm sorry you're going to have to watch the Cincinnati Bearcats play football on Saturday. Well, Steve, thank you for having me on. And I uh, I don't feel a whole lot better about you or anyone else having to watch Houston Cougar football season. So we can, we can call ourselves even on that, uh, that little exchange there. Yeah, I had to be really nice to the UCF people last week because we were both very bad and uh, we're still uh, winless after that exchange. So, But Houston has done a little bit better than the rest of us newcomers. Uh, two wins so far, including an exciting overtime win on Saturday against Baylor. Um, what has Houston been able to do so far? Uh, it seemed like kind of we were in that same stretch there where we both lost to our close rivals, uh, lost a trophy game that we had been winning for a long time. And then Houston's been able to turn it around and get two conference wins, which is more than the Bearcats can say. Yeah, like I think with anything I'm going to answer about this team, there's not a whole lot that I'm going to really vigorously be like, yeah, this is something really good about this team. There, there are a few things, but it's not many. So I don't know if this team has really done anything consistently excellent, even being able to play a couple of Big 12 wins. But I would say, such as this team's been able to do some good things and get a couple of Big 12 wins, I guess, to their favor, it's been periodically the Cougar offense. I'm not going to say the Cougar defense did nothing to help the cause on Saturday. I, this one thing I was kind of thinking about when I put together my thoughts on this one is, yes, this defense did have some pretty notable failings. I think chief among them, letting Blake Shapin run for 27 yards on a fourth and 17 when a stop would have won the game conclusively for the Cougars at that point. So the defense did hand the ball to the Cougars with a 17-10 lead, so I don't want to make this entirely about the offense, but I would say periodically, not consistently, we've seen Donovan Smith and this Cougar team develop something like a pretty good passing attack. There have been also flashes in the run. Vigili is quite good at getting tough yards. He's not the most explosive runner, but in a pinch, he's a guy who's pretty good at getting two to five yards on the graph, you need it. You've seen flashes also from Parker Jenkins, a true freshman uh, running back who really, really one of the, I would say, group of guys who might not have considered U of H prior to this big 12 move, four-star local kid uh, who's really looked physically ready for the division one level at a way you don't necessarily expect from an 18, 19 year old. So that that's been positive. I think this receiver group, which we kind of knew in the preseason was talented with Matthew Golden, Joseph Manjack and Samuel Brown. And Brown's been, I think, the real nice surprise. He was a contributor last year, but I would say very much third or fourth kind of choice among your receivers last year. And this year is, is really has turned himself into the alpha dog of this group it is a, I think the leader, one of the leaders in receiving yards in the conference this year. So that's been a positive. You've occasionally seen stuff from the running game. Donovan Smith is occasionally been part of a really good passing. I mean, this, this offense threw for almost 400 yards against uh, probably Texas's best team since 2009. I mean, obviously very heartbreaking finish in that one, but you still saw flashes there, but you've also seen, uh, I think this offense just go through long stretches of, uh, of not being productive. So again, limited in how positive I am, but I would say the Cougars are in a position to realistically still be looking at bowl eligibility because this offense has had its moments kind of figuring stuff out at times in conference play. Um, so speaking on that offense real quick, uh, the loss of Shannon Dawson in the offseason, um, was that kind of part of the change as to why this offense has not been as great? Uh, would you say it's a, a quarterback issue? What would you uh, really draw it up to? You know, I'm not, I'm not so sure because it really looked like Dawson early on the season of Miami, that that team really looked like a revitalized offense. And I, I even kind of mentioned it a few times. It's like, OK, well, this guy leaves here and he's instantly like overseeing 
a pretty good offense. They've kind of come back down to earth a bit. And uh, similarly, the uh, the line coach is now at Missouri, who's having, I think, their one of their better seasons uh, in the SEC as well. So I guess I don't think anyone is particularly sad to see Shannon Dawson go. I don't think any, anyone who's had Shannon Dawson as an offensive coordinator, I think that's Kentucky and Southern Miss prior to us, has been terribly sad to see him go. Um, I think the change at quarterback is is the biggest thing going from Clayton Toon, somebody who basically was the starter from about, I think it was the fifth game of Dana Holgerson's first season until last year. So it was, was someone very, I guess, pencil, pencil, you pencil in the quarterback. You kind of, you knew there wasn't going to be any kind of real competition there. Clay, it was Clayton Toon's team for the last four to five years. So, and Donovan Smith coming in, I think we were excited about some of the stuff he saw uh, him do last year against Texas Tech, including but not limited to beating the Cougars last year in week two uh, up in Lubbock. So there's, there's been some, I think, kind of understandable growing pains there. But there's also just been, I think, just long stretches. Like there's times this offense looks looks great. It looks like a really dynamic passing attack. It looks like Donovan Smith cannot just make things happen in the run game with his feet, but can move the pocket around and find open guys. And, and there have been flashes of really Donovan Smith and his receivers looking like they're way ahead of schedule in terms of kind of one guy knowing where the other is kind of innately. But then there are also times where Donovan Smith throws it to a spot that his receivers nowhere near, and it's one of the more baffling interceptions you've seen. So I think I think you can chalk a lot of that up to um, I think having a new quarterback and everyone dealing with him for the first time. But also, I, I think that there are some fundamentally broken things with what Dana Holgerson does offensively, and I, I do think even with this offense having having some flashes at times, I think this is still screaming out for in the offseason, if Dane Holgerson can clear the bar such to keep his job to bring in some kind of outside mind to run the offense where it's not just, okay. And that was always the question. Shannon Dawson was here. Is this Shannon Dawson's offense? Is this Dana Holgerson's offense? They always insisted to the public that, Hey, this is Shannon Dawson's offense, but again, hard to, hard to truly know. So I would say some combination of breaking in new players. And also I, th- I think just honestly, just some fundamentally broken stuff or some stuff that Dana Holgerson may not hasn't updated ideally to 2023 college offense. Yeah. Um, You're speaking to the choir here with Cincinnati Bearcats fans. Uh, Unfortunately, we've been watching a broken offense for about seven games now. So uh, not, not the greatest year so far for us, a lot of quarterback issues as well. Um, It's just been a tough stretch and um before the season, we had been maybe looking at this game as a potential winnable game, and the spread still shows that as a winnable game for Cincinnati. But uh, you know, only a two and a half spread last time I checked uh, in Houston's favor. Um, Houston being the home team as well. But with the way just the season has gone, and with how poorly the team has looked, especially just undisciplined, uh, just a lot of penalties, a lot of first year stuff that you can't really avoid. That that. I, to me it seems avoidable but um maybe that's just the higher uh coming down to it in the end uh, we don't need to get into all of our our pain and trouble um speaking of dana though um what is the uh point to which the fan base is okay with him staying is bull eligibility enough for him because obviously you know we've seen in the past uh at houston bolt where bull eligibility is not enough and you know just a you guys obviously are very excited like we are to be in the big 12, but I definitely understand from Houston's point of view, if you don't think six and six is enough. And, you know, I think if this was his first or second year here, 
I think I think honestly probably five wins would do it. Like getting get this or UCF. I mean theoretically Oklahoma State, but I don't I don't foresee U of H being able to really compete with that team even at home. So I think it's the fact that this is his fifth season here. This is a roster that is his choosing. He came on our podcast this summer and even talked about how compared to when he was at West Virginia, he actually had more lead time to build this. He had two years basically to build this roster. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some level of transition there, but he didn't, he didn't lean in the preseason into any excuses about, well, I haven't had time to get the roster. He was very, I think emphatic. This is a big 12 roster. I think some of the games since then have proven him wrong on that one. And I think there's some segment of the fan base that it just, they just want him gone. I mean, I guess if he went like, he somehow beat Oklahoma state and obviously he won this coming Saturday in the finale against UCF. I, I think, I think seven and five would make some people, even with some of the low points this year, like really raise their eyebrows. I think most people, even if they wouldn't be thrilled about him coming back and the career famous would at least accept that, Hey, he got to six and six. That's by most metrics on a season where you're jumping up in terms of level of competition, in the conference, I think, I think that's that's it. I think most people, even if they're not happy about it, are at least cognizant of the fact that hey, if he's getting to bowl eligibility, there's no way U of H is gonna, whether now or piecemeal over the next three years, eat a fourteen million dollar buyout. It's just it's not happening. It's not palatable, and frankly, it's not good financial sense. But I think I, I would say there's still probably a good at least 30 percent of fan base that still adamantly would want him out. Regardless of that, and wouldn't wouldn't even take the consideration that hey, this this administration is not going to make a move after bowl eligibility. But I, I would still count myself myself among the group of people who would not be thrilled, would not be would be understanding. But I, I don't know. I'm not dying to watch another year of Dana Holgerson football after this one. I mean, maybe these next three games are a different Houston team, and I'm singing a different tune in December. But I haven't seen anything to really make me believe that's going to be the case. Yeah, because uh, you know, we we met, our teams met up in the 2021 uh, American Conference Championship game, and we sure did. Feels our, like a lifetime ago, honestly. It, it really does, honestly. I was able to go to that game, and uh, I I feel states away, and I think this team, our team, is states away from uh, just actually being at that same point again. Um, but it was obviously, you know, you lose a couple guys after the 2022 season where. Some people thought maybe that was a chance to build off of the success of 21 and continue to keep rising. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, I, I saw Houston bring in Tom Herman after uh, Tony Levine in 2014 and just how quickly that that turned into uh, such success for the Cougar program. And, you know, I, I'm like, I'm not going to tell any fans to feel how they want to uh, to feel differently just because they know both of our programs have really seen the height of success with uh, past coaches and our current coaches. And I said, I would have said the same thing about UCF last week. Like, yep. you know, the, I mean, I think as long as uh, Dana Holgerson doesn't have Jimmy Sexton as his agent, because both UCF and us have, have that problem. I don't think we're going to get out of our buyouts anytime soon, but you guys might have more of a chance if you don't. I don't know. Uh, I, I think honestly, I mean, I guess the only the good thing is when they did negotiate, I think a now looking very ill advised extension after the 21 season for Holgerson. It isn't a situation like Malzahn at Auburn, or if you want to back a little further, Kevin Sumlin at uh, Texas AM, where U of H would within X number of days owe the lump sum. U of H can pay it out monthly the same way they pay out a salary now. But I mean, even still, 
14 million or what 14 million and something over 36 months is still still a little bit of change so i think yep. honestly from for cougar fan perspective if this last month does really go south you do lose these last three games and i don't even get close to the bar of eligibility including losing a saturday to a previously big 12 winless cincy i don't know i think it's it's about u of h's money people basically going to Someone for Tita, the uh, current uh, Houston Rockets owner, U of H uh, Board of Regents. I can't remember if it's president or chairman, one of those titles, and uh, fast casual tyrant to basically be like, please buy us out of the bad contract that you did. So I think that's that's kind of U of H's position if these last three weeks uh, do go bad, then I'm sure I'm sure asking for whatever from the other big money donors. But I think from what I've heard, it, it really does, does sound like this is going to be uh, Tillman for Tita, please rescue us if this uh, last <laughs> month goes uh, goes south. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so I'm just curious from the Houston fan standpoint. Um, I'm I'm sure you guys have not went out of your way to watch our games because again, if I was not a fan of this team, I would probably not be watching. I actually games. watched a good chunk, and this is probably not one you would have wanted me to see. I watched a good chunk of uh, Iowa State Cincy because there wasn't a lot of go- a lot going on in the uh, early time slot that week. And my my co-host and I were uh, were at the Circus Sportsbook here and. Uh, Watch probably more of that than uh, than anyone would uh, want to watch, I guess, unless you're an Iowa State fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was tough just because uh, that was homecoming weekend coming off a bye. You thought maybe they'd have a little bit. They did not. They did not have more. Yeah, but, it was pretty decisive. Yeah, yeah. And it was unfortunate. But what's something that I can uh, explain to you about our team that you may not have seen so far this year? Here's why I don't understand. Yeah, I want you to an- answer this for me. Why, why was there no backup plan beyond a six-year senior? Because, like, this year, a quarterback, excuse me, be more specific, Emory Jones. Like, I I understand, like, taking a flyer on him for his last year of eligibility. Like, he's done some good stuff in his college career. Totally get that. What I don't, and, and I think this is what would really, really, really concern me if I was a Cincinnati fan. Like, I remember Holderson's first year here. It was pretty rough, but it was also a very young offense. It's, you know, it's sophomore Clayton Tune out there. It's, if you're going to at least be in that position, like, okay, well, at least go full youth move. At least we're going to get a full look at whoever the freshman or sophomore core. The future is it's like, fuck, it's a sixth year guy. And that's, that's the thing that uh, not that we've talked about since the ton, but when we do our big 12 kind of look around. It's just like, man, this would, this would feel a little bit less desperately uh, not encouraging if it wasn't like a guy as eligible. So my question is, what do you think went into this staff? Not at least going after, you know, I mean, obviously high school recruiting when you're coming in, like that's, I'm not saying you should have signed a high school guy. I'd be ready for this, but like, why wasn't there another, like, I don't know, maybe take a flyer on another, like an FCS guy looking to transfer up. Like that's my, like how, how is Emory Jones? Your only, your only possible answer at quarterback. That's, that's my question. Uh, Scott, have you ever done, uh, sorry, I called you Scott. I, my apologies, Sam. Oh, you're good, man. Sam, have you ever done like the homework? for a project and then the 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 parameters of the project change and you still turned in the same work despite the the project changing um th- yes. that was basically what happened with Scott Satterfield because um the Emory Jones mentioned at Big 12 Media Day this year that he was being recruited to Louisville by the same Scott Satterfield staff and then the coaching change okay. happened and he they they let him know that they were moving on to Cincinnati and that they were still interested in him and he went there now obviously louisville like you know i don't know how much better jack Plummer is than emory jones but you we've seen as cincinnati fans we're hating it how much how how much more successful they are when with satterfield gone and with a new coach in there some of the same roster they obviously got some transfer turnover down there but 
a lot of same the same dudes that were on the roster last year only have one loss on the season so far. They they've pretty much turned it around instantly. And a credit to Jeff Brom on that. But it seems like they had kind of already done the work on the quarterback that they wanted to bring in. And maybe he would have been more successful at Louisville with more talent. I do think it's a problem of talent just around uh around the entire roster this year. Lost a lot of guys as well, which hurts, hurts depth. But it just seems like he was still the solution regardless of the problem changing. And I don't I just don't see why they continue to keep putting him in these games because Sam look like on Saturday they had Emery start the first two series. Then they brought in the the backup quarterback who is admittedly a third year guy. Uh there was some quarterback controversy with uh, Cincinnati last year. Never really got any mention for that co- quarterback controversy despite the job being up for grabs. So he's just been on the roster and there's there's been some flashes from him. They he completed a good 30-yard pass on Saturday and uh they instantly sat him down and went back to Emory Jones. And it just Again, the same thing as well. Like I, I just don't understand why you're continuing to play a six-year guy, especially when we have young guys on this roster that need the playing time. Then you're not going to make a bowl. Already lost yeah. your seventh game. It just doesn't make sense to me. They continue to play older guys. There's even a elite eleven quarterback that Cincinnati uh, was able to retain uh, with this signing class. He was committed to Luke Fickle, and then Satterfield was able to retain him, Brady Drogish, and he is still third on the depth chart has not even looked close to being able to come in the game. And I, I get it. Maybe you don't want to throw in a true freshman quarterback, but we're within the threshold now of the red shirt year, where if you play people, the last three games of the season, yeah. you don't need to, you're not going to lose their red shirt. They can still red shirt for the year. And his, his answer to that on Saturday, uh, Sam was, we just want to win. We're trying to win ball games. And my answer to that is look, You've lost seven in a row. Change something. Like, let us see these young guys progress. It just seems like they had all the work done on Emery, and they're like, okay, we're going to put him in this offense. He's going to work. And then the situation changed, but they just still tried to answer that situation with Emery. And um, that was the concern at Louisville as well. Um, I was able to hear a couple of Louisville talk radio people uh, talk to Cincinnati people when the hire was made. And that was the problem was that, there was no quarterback at all at Louisville, despite Malik Cunningham uh, and Juwan Pass, no secondary quarterback option. And seemingly that's kind of what happened at UC too and why Fickle left is because after Desmond Ritter, there seemed to be no second quarterback. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think that's the problem. And look, there's the the amount of people that like Scott Satterfield now at UC, whether it be fair or not, is very little. Um, yeah. I do think the talent was not uh, going to be good enough this year, looking back at it. Uh, but just the consi- consistent wanting to play Emory despite the problems, uh, seeming to try and take control of a team um, by instituting suspensions, sitting guys down for the year. It's just reeks of trying to take control of a, of a, of a roster, trying to set his own roster, and then losing uh, creates all the problems as well. So... Uh, it's been a tough year, uh, yeah. LPR, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like fairly, fairly or not, like when you go from two years ago to the playoff to, you know, now on November 6th, talking about a team that's mathematically limited from bull eligibility, even if there, even if they, there are like, like you pointed out, some probably obvious underlying reasons to why, you know, what, why Satterfield may not have been set up to be, you know, he didn't have a, he wasn't handed a future playoff team, but also 
I have a hard time believing he was handed a team that, you know, that that wasn't capable of, of at least being around bowl eligibility and was all said and done this year. You know, like even even setting a very low bar to clear, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, hard to feel great about. But I mean, at, at least he hasn't publicly said he's uh, stopped recruiting the class of 2024, which which Dana Holgerson basically did on his last coach's show. I did so, see that. Yeah. yeah I'm no, sorry it's... about that. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's, that's that's not great. <laughs> the craziest part about it is like the the star recruits that the staff has gotten Matthew Golden, the receiver, uh, the two the two biggest uh, receiver commits in the last class, Michael Harrison Pilot, who was a high school All American, didn't commit until February. And it's just like, yeah, now we're done recruiting. It's like, hey, awful lot of confidence that you'll be around in twenty twenty five, buddy. Like, just oh yeah, recruiting yeah. twenty twenty five now. It's like, yeah, <laughs> are you sure yeah. you'll be there? Yeah. Well, and then like the your class is pretty similar to ours and you know we have 23 guys right now but we're ranked in the 40s i mean like for programs like us who are entering the big 12 like i'm sorry that's just not gonna cut it like and like i, don't I mean i don't think that's terrible I mean, if it wasn't the other if we were all the other stuff like there's obviously i think uh the season's probably planted some seeds of doubt that this head coach and the staff can develop that but God, man, I think we were behind like 25 group of five programs uh, as the last check so it could be it could be worse on that front. That's all I'm saying. I I wouldn't trade that for being two and seven right now, but I don't know. Like we'll probably a decent chance we'll also end up in the same place when it's all said and done this year. So yeah. Um, I mean, I I'll just give you my prediction right now, and I'd like to hear hey, yours man. as well. Yeah, yeah. I think Houston will win by a touchdown at least on Saturday. I have not predicted a Bearcats loss on this podcast. So this is a historic event, Sam. But um, I just like no offense to our players, the coaches, anybody. I just don't think like we have the ability to go win a road game right now, especially a conference road game. If I, I seriously believe last Saturday's game against UCF was probably our best shot at a conference win this season. And with that game out of the way and with Houston winning another game on the road against a legacy big 12 member, uh, the confidence in this game went down and, Cincinnati has a 43% chance to win according yeah. to ESPN, but I, I think ESPN just values those first two games of in their power rankings and is not taken really into consideration enough of the past seven games. Yeah. I, I think I've gone to my head. I, I predict a Cougar win. I don't even know if I go a touchdown. I might even say I could see it being like a 24, 20, like 31, 27 kind of game. I think it'll, I, I don't think either team will pull away at any point in this one. And like, Again, very very happy to have the wins over West Virginia and Baylor, Baylor specifically. I think for reasons respected to those two opponents, but we'll also point out that uh, one of those games. And I think boiling it down to the hail mary, I think, is unfair to what was a good offensive effort in that one. Like the Cougars moved the ball very well in West Virginia, better than I think any of us expect to go into that game. But I mean, you still needed a, a hail mary like at the at the end there to win that one. Still needed overtime to beat Baylor in a game where, I mean, the Cougars have been very, had been very, very bad on the road, including, but not limited to losing to rice and uh, losing 41, nothing to K state in a game, but I don't think 41, nothing truly tells you what an ass kicking it was. So, and that, that's all to say that like, obviously a lot, a lot of warts of this UC team, a lot of warts of this Cougar team and that this UC team could be on a seven game losing streak. And I'm still sitting in front of you. Uh, not, not even to be nice. Like, Hey, I'm, I, I would love a, com a comfortable Big 12 win. I didn't think such a thing would have been possible earlier this year, but I won't believe it until I see it from this team. So while I think it's a Cougar win, I, I think I'd probably do the reverse prediction if this was going to be a nipper. I I know this is a different looking roster. I, I don't love that there's at least like, 
there's at least some amount of guys still on that sideline that remember beating Houston regularly have were on the roster when this team beat Houston uh through and it was yeah it was 2019 20 yeah because I was I, I was in the game in Houston in 20 so beat him three years in a row from 2019 to 21 and have just have just historically done really very well since I I would say the post Herman era of Houston Cougar football. So that that doesn't make me feel more confident on the Houston side for it. But again, I, I think the Cougars maybe end up just being slightly less of a flawed team. But uh, just like last Saturday's game at Baylor, I think I, I, think I tweeted something like this. I don't think any of us will feel better for having watched this football game uh, or richer, richer for the experience in any way. Uh, hopefully <laughs> would, would love, I'd still would still feel great if the Cougars were at five wins at that point. It's like, okay, you just have to split the last two to get bowl eligible. But I'm not wildly confident, Steve, not wildly confident. It's gonna <laughs> well, Sam, uh, I'm confident in the fact that hopefully we'll get to enjoy a decent to good football game on Saturday, a night game on a, on a actual network. I was kind of surprised by that. I know me too. Me too. So, I mean, Hey, it's better than having to play in the American on ESPN plus yes. or ESPN U. So absolutely. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Bearcat fans, please go listen to Scott and Holman podcast. Go listen to Midwest Madness. First episode of Midwest Madness just dropped this Monday with Ethan Bach covering all Big 12 news. Got to go tune into that. Check out some basketball this year. Uh, basketball does start tonight for uh, the when while we're recording. Uh, Sam's about to go watch the Houston game, and I'm going to go watch the Cincinnati game later. So, Sam, again, thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to Saturday and hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. We'll talk again. Great, great stuff, Steve. Sports Social Podcast Network.